A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Let me give you a little bit of a heads up about the weather for this week because it certainly isn't good news coming from Met Air. And they tell us there's a storm approaching Ireland from the west. Now, the storm is going to stay at sea but it's going to bring with it heavy rain over land for tomorrow night and then into Wednesday, uh, Thursday. And uh, Thursday, then we're going to see more heavy rain along with the risk of hail and thunder. That on Thursday could lead to some spot flooding. The reason for it is uh, we're, we're also, besides that storm that's going to be out at sea, bringing with it the rain, we're also going to feel noticeably colder because we're lying on the cold side of a polar front for all all of this week, meaning temperatures will remain unseasonably cool for May. And they're saying temperatures no higher than 9 to 13 degrees Celsius. But let's try and look at the positive in all of this. There is the prospect of warmer weather on the horizon uh, with a bit of recovery next weekend. So we'll have to put up with the rain and put up with a little bit of a chill, but it will get better for the weekend. Very good morning to you and it is great to be back. Thanks to John Paul for sitting in for me last uh, Thursday and Friday while I was away in Belarus and it is so good to be back. Uh, Again, I went on a trip to Belarus and at various stages across the few days I was there and and I think I speak for all of the other five wonderful ladies who travelled with me. There was a sense of, it was a roller coaster of emotions. You went from seeing great hope and great happiness and fantastic to reconnect with Belarusian friends and to reconnect with some of the children who were now young adults that had come to the North Cork area over the summer months. Great to reconnect connect with them and great sense of happiness uh, meeting with them and then you hit a complete and utter low and you thought it's 20 years on from my first trip have you know has anything changed will anything uh, ever changed and you would just be bereft you would be in so you know in so just feeling so much sadness uh, for these people and it is the level of poverty i think in belarus was the one thing that got to uh, all of us. Minsk as a city, if you go to Minsk and it is becoming a very popular weekend destination for Europeans and for Russians and there's, you know, wonderful restaurants around the place and casinos and large department stores and it just looks like a buzzing city. That is 
spotlessly clean and they're getting ready and preparing for the European Games that are going to be held in Belarus, going to be held in Minsk. There's a lot of preparation going on for that. You think this country is really on the turn. It's wonderful. But you literally just have to step outside of that one city of Minsk and go into the rural areas to see some of the most awful poverty. And I know charity begins at home and all of that. And we're, we're, you know, we're always talking about how generous we are as a nation and we need to look after our own. But honest to God, even families in this country that are struggling at the moment, it is nothing. The poverty that we have in this country is nothing like the poverty that you see in Belarus. And there was, it struck me a few times again, though when I was thinking over the weekend, it was a little bit like Ireland maybe 40, 50 years ago, particularly when you went into the rural areas, people growing vegetables in order to survive because they literally, they didn't grow the vegetables, didn't have the few chickens to lay the eggs. They physically wouldn't have the money to buy uh, anything. And there was also a sort of a mehel spirit about people helping each other. I loved uh, to see that and people we connected with. I mean, I was talking with one uh, young man and he was living in the city, but I was saying to him, we were talking about chickens and I was saying, would you be able to keep chickens? And he goes, no, I mean, you know, an apartment block, I wouldn't be able to keep chickens, but I've got a friend in the countryside who does and he gives me some chickens. And I was saying, oh, how do you pay him for that? And he said, oh, I help him out by helping, you know, doing some work for him. And then he'll, you know, maybe have a pig. And, and when he kills the pig, he'll give me some of the meat. And, and that just struck me of that would have gone on in this country many, many uh, years ago. So just to kind of synopsize the highs and lows of the weekend. Let me start with the highs. I, I really want to start with the positives because there was some wa- wonderful positives about the trip. One of the one of the main highs, I think, would have to be one of the Homes of Hope that we went to visit. And Homes of Hope, the Chernobyl Children's Project or Chernobyl Children's International as it is now, I think about 10 years they started this campaign of trying to buy houses and then they would identify adults who were in institutions and take them out of the institutions and put them into these homes and give them a little bit of uh, support and let them live as independent lives as uh, possible. And that was the idea behind the the Homes of uh, Hope. And one of them, the Mallow Group, fundraised for one uh, one of the homes and it was into that home we went and there was eight Uh, men uh, living there. All of them would have formerly lived in uh, an institution and they have this wonderful revamped house and the one thing that I loved was they were so proud showing off their homes, their home to us, you know, bringing us upstairs so we could see their their bedrooms and their wardrobes and all the clothes was so beautifully stacked and clean and they were, some of them were having their lunch when we arrived and there was no feeling at all that this was an institution. This was very much their home and they had their little garden and they were growing some vegetables and I was speaking with the care assistant. They have a care assistant with them, you know, 24-7. There's somebody there offering them uh, support and I was asking how did it go down with the neighbours when the house was bought and she said at the start the neighbours weren't that happy about it but they'd come to accept the young men that were there and everybody was getting on great. And I, was so, and I saw that as a great sense of hope for the future because disabilities in Belarus viewed very differently to the way we view disabilities here again. Many years ago in this country, people that were disabled were locked up in institutions and that unfortunately is still going on in, in Belarus. So the more that we can get homes of hope like that and the more that we can integrate people with special needs into the community, the better understanding people will have of somebody with a disability and people with disabilities are to be, tre- are to be uh, treasured and accepted into the community. So that particular story was a great, gave us a great 
sense of hope. We also went to visit three separate families who have fought the system and said no, they didn't want their disabled child to go into an institution and they're looking after their children at home. Now, they're in very difficult situations, uh, many of them, but the three families we went to visit, they're getting support by a multidisciplinary team, which is funded by the Chernobyl Children's International. There's a physiotherapist goes in, there's a speech and language uh, therapist uh, goes in and someone else, you know, regularly goes in to visit with the family and to help with the family and uh, help with buying equipment that they may need. But very difficult for the families to look after these and I'm talking about very severely disabled children. Many of them, you know, needed help with ventilators and breathing at various times. Some of them were being peg fed and, and tube fed. And, you know, one family we went to, the little boy, Victor, whose brother actually has been to uh, Mallow a couple of times. And I know we'll be coming back to Mallow again in the summer because when you've got a child in the house like that, that child needs support uh, as well. But Victor, the little boy, Hard to know what was wrong with him. It, it could be some syndrome. I, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure, but very, very severely disabled and you know non-verbal. And in they, we must have climbed twenty flights of stairs. There was no lift in the building to get up to the apartment where this little family uh, were living. And we were asking the father, did you know? Do you get Victor out? And the, you know they get him out as you know as much as and as often as they can. But he has to be physically carry somebody. He has to carry down the wheelchair. Then he has to physically carry Victor down the stairs. And Victor is getting bigger as he's getting older. And you just have that sense of there will come a day where the father won't be able to lift him down the stairs, and he will be forevermore in this apartment, twenty floors up. Um, but it was just lovely to see these three children been so much loved by their families and these would have been children that would have been locked up in institutions. So I, I took great sense of hope from those families and would like to think that there will be many more families going forward. And then I know the Chernobyl Children's uh, Trust, which operates out of um, Middleton, Simon Walsh and um, the late Dina Walsh set up the Chernobyl Children's uh, Trust. I was speaking with one of their workers and they were saying they do similar work down in very rural areas of Gomel. They have about 60 odd families that they're helping and they're working with a Belarusian organisation called the White Dove over Chernobyl who are helping families to keep their children at home. So again, a great sense of hope and that's what we need to put in place because if you look at this country and I know I mentioned this to John Paul when I was chatting with him on Friday we have a lot of special needs children and adults who are supported by uh, charities. We've got Co-Action in West Cork, St Joseph's Foundation in North Cork, the Cope Foundation in Able Ireland and a lot of them are supported through charity work and people volunteering and out uh, fundraising. They're the kind of organisations we need to get off the ground in Belarus and they seem to be starting and it will be slow and it will take time but once you can see glimmers of hope that's as much that we can hope and pray for and wish for. So that was all uh, quite positive. When I was speaking to John Paul on Friday, I was parked outside the number one baby home in a Mince that we were going to visit and they have children from birth up to uh, four there is some children who have no disabilities at all, but there are children then with various levels of uh, disability uh, in there. And we had gone out the day before with money that we'd taken out that people had given us to say, you know, pass on a bit of love and a bit of sunshine to the children over there. And we got in contact with the home to see what did they need. They were looking for baby grows up to the age of three and they asked us if we could get some toys. And we also got uh, blankets for a high dependency unit that they have in there. And it was wonderful the day before 
with very little time once we arrived to go into a shop over there and buy but start buying baby clothes and start buying toys and we got the softest blankets and little booties that we could get for the very uh, sick children. We went into the high dependency unit. That was tough. That really was tough. They were very seriously ill children. But receiving great care and the difference, because I'd been in that home 20 years ago the di- and it didn't have a high dependency unit, the difference was they had very high tech equipment inside in that room so I was really impressed with that but then I was speaking with somebody who works in a charity that works in the home and uh, she was saying you know isn't it great the high dependency unit and I said yeah it's fantastic and the care they were receiving but she said that same home can contact their charity to say we have no money for dressings we have no money for plasters we have no money to buy cotton wool that we will need uh, for the children and we're not going to get it for another month and we urgently need it now and that's where the charities kick in and uh, help them out so it was was kind of hard to think all this money was being put into equipment you need to back it up with everything else that they need in order to care for these children but again you know we were in a room where the, the children were being fed and it's just systems are different you know one of the ladies was saying God why is the spoon so big it's one of my abiding memories of my first visit 20 years ago when they're feeding the children they're like the old fashioned big dessert spoons that we used to get and they're shoveling the food into the children's mouths now I know whenever we tried to get such like softer plastic spoons like we'd have here we'd be told no they wouldn't be able to sterilise them and you know they're passed from one child to another so they use these old fashioned spoons and they're easier to sterilise there's always an excuse as to why they can't go with you know some other way that would be easier on the children but of course they're able to feed children faster if they're literally it felt like they were shoveling it in from these big spoons and everything has to be just done and move on to the next child move on to the next child and maybe they just don't have enough staff I, I, I don't know and I'm, I'm slow to criticise ways they have their own way uh, of uh, doing things. Um, but that was lovely. It was it was lovely to go back in there and to be able to hand over all the items that we had bought the day before. So thank you to anyone who donated in any way to us. Believe me, the money was well spent. Another real joy over the weekend was of the six of us that travelled, four were what we would call the Irish mamas. These were host families who would have taken children during the summer and we went in search of who are now young adults, some of these children would have come for over 10 years. You know, families would have watched them grow every summer with them coming. And to see that initial meeting when, you know, the young adult would realise their Irish mama was here in the country was just, it had me in tears. It got me every single time. There was just such emotional scenes. One young girl, we didn't think we were going to be able to track her down and then we suddenly realised we were. We were very close to where she was uh, working as a cleaner in the school and we called to the school and oh, it was just such a joyous joyous um, uh, scene. And I have to say, so many of the young adults who came to the North Cork area's children over the years are doing well and they're doing well. I can honestly say hand on heart, because these were children that came out of orphanages. Many of them don't of any family members at all and they're doing well because they came to this country some for a month every summer some came for three months some came for a month at Christmas as well they got a sense of what family life can be like and should be like and I think it instilled in them something to make them achieve to do better and to want for more and they really want their Irish families to be proud of them So if you've ever hosted one of those children over the years and you may have lost contact because many, many, because so many children have come over the years, know that what you did really, really has left a lasting impression 
on those children and we, some of them now as young adults have children of their own and to watch them as parents. I mean, they wouldn't have had any parenting skills in the orphanage. The only you know, glimmer they would have got was when they were with their Irish families and they're, they're turning into wonderful little mothers and fathers themselves and that was lovely and again emotional for us to see but we were like bursting with pride watching them it really was uh, terrific there was one a young girl who had come to the North Cork area I think for about 10 years um, who isn't doing uh, too good and she left all of us I think uh, really really upset Um, she's three young children herself living in the most awful poverty like poverty, I've never seen poverty like it. And we went into her little home and, you know, she knew we were coming. So she, she'd gone out and got mugs and there were new mugs. I mean, the mug she gave me with my coffee had the price tag on the side. God help her, she hadn't even, she didn't even realise the price tag was still on it. So we, we knew she had gone to great effort, you know, to make us feel welcome. And she was so delighted that we were coming to see her. And the kitchen was just I I mean, I've seen derelict houses and the kitchen would have been better. Um, And we realised her cooker wasn't working. So we were able to help her in that we were able to buy her a new cooker. Um, She had bills that had to be paid. We were able to eat money with us. It was all small sums in the scheme of things. Um, So we're trying to get her on the um, straight and narrow. We're trying to get her out of the home she's in, get her into a new uh, apartment and we will continue uh, to support her. But we all just, I think, left there. Our hearts just fell because we'd seen the other children who she'd been in the orphanage with who were doing well and just... For whatever reason, she's just gone into a tricky situation that hopefully, hopefully, uh, through support, we will be able to get her out of that and, and get her back and everything will be OK with her with her three uh, little boys. And then on the Sunday, we, we did what we call open house in the apartment. We sort of put word out to as many of the children as we possibly could to say, we're here, come see us. And, and uh, it was lovely. It was one of those, again, joyous days and... Uh, Georgina O'Sullivan who travelled with us had the great sense to bring photographs uh, with her of over the years of the children over here in North Cork and there was so much fun um, watching them go through the photographs and remembering people and these were you know they all came from the one orphanage and for some of them they don't see each other that often so it was a great opportunity for all of them to hook up because they were like brothers and sisters to each other growing up then obviously they've all gone off on their own paths and they they live in you know different parts of Minsk or they live outside of Minsk and they don't get the opportunity to meet up like we would meet up here at home they wouldn't always have the money to be able to do it either so that was a lovely and a a very uh, special uh, day and then I suppose for me the big one and it happened on the first morning where we arrived on the Thursday on the Friday I went to the institution where the children who had been on Marsh's unit have now moved to and they moved to I think about seven to ten years ago uh, Marsh's adoption was 15 years ago yeah so maybe about 10 years ago they moved out of the institution that they had been in in, in Minsk and they've moved to the number one it's called the number one adult institution and it was about an hour's drive from uh, Minsk and again in a rural area in the countryside we arrived on this compound um, beautifully laid out and I have to say I was you know I, I, I was I, I was impressed the units were very clean um, it looked very well run. We met with the director who was a lovely man. We met with various staff who all were friendly and, and kind. Um, I got to see the boys who were on Marsh's unit and obviously they were just, you know, delighted to see photographs of her and they were, you know, asking how she was getting on and, and it was lovely. I mean, it, 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 it really was lovely. I mean, I looked at it and, and um, 
obviously I was quite upset when I was in there because I was thinking that's where she would have ended up if uh, we hadn't got the adoption. And I just thought I, I couldn't I couldn't see her there. I didn't think she would have made it. I don't think she would have survived if she had been left there. And there was just there was a lack of stimulation and it just it felt clinical, just felt clinical, even though the young boys are happy and they seemed happy. Um, but I was, I was just so upset. I was, I was just really, really, really upset. But we left a donation there for them to to bring a little bit of joy to uh, to the boys, and 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 you know, and we'll, we'll follow up and, and hope that they will. I'm just so thankful that you know I, she's home with me. And it was just when I went into the unit, there was a little boy called Yuri who had been on her unit, who always was on the floor. And we went in, and he was still on the floor. And I just thought, oh God, all these years later, it's nobody stimulating him, and he's just and he's just smiling, and he was still smiling, and he he blew kisses to me as, as I left. And you know, you just you wanted to pick him up and bring him home and think if he was in this country his life could be so different and that was one thing I think all of us there but for the grace of God if all, any of us had been born in a country like that so and it's just it's the poverty and they're doing their best they are doing their best and there was there was positives um, but uh, there will always be those you know there will always be stories that will haunt me haunt me uh, forever so it is good to be back but just to people who were very kind and donated money thank you and, you know, as I say, we did our best to spread that money out and to bring as much joy and to help as many people uh, as we could. And to the gang I travelled with, to Mary and Joan and Geraldine and Annie and Louise, they were just the most wonderful travel buddies. And we we all kept each other going. There would be, you know, times where somebody was in floods of tears and then there was times where we had peals of laughter. Um, uh, and it was great and it was a lovely trip. And I come back from the, from Belarus every time and say, I'll never go back there again. But I know in my heart of hearts I'll always be drawn back to that country and it's a country I will be forever grateful to because they gave me my daughter. Uh, 1850 uh, Before I tell you what's coming up on the programme let's take a quick break. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Can I just say, sorry, because I can see the most beautiful texts um, and words of support coming in from uh, from people. I didn't mean to get as upset as I got uh, and uh, I thought I had all my crying done. But I suppose when you talk about some, something and you remember something uh, and you realise, uh, and I know how upset I was over the last few days, I, but I didn't mean to get as upset. And, I, and I'm sorry, I've upset other people and that was never my intention. But there's just beautiful texts coming in, including uh, Heidi, a point Heidi is making, I made so many times to Belarusians, some lovely Belarusian people that I met uh, when we went into various institutions saying we did the very same thing in this country and Heidi is from uh, the UK and she said, you know, we did the same in the UK. We locked away handicapped people. We have learned and, and one day the very same thing. It'll just take time uh, in Belarus. But uh, one day, you know, they'll look back as well as we are able to do now in in hindsight. And in the meantime, let's give them uh, all the help and support that we can along the way. And Fran, sent in a lovely text uh, and sorry Fran who's in tears as well <laughs> I'm sorry it, it is hard I think when you listen to somebody else get upset I, I do the very same thing I do the very same thing myself but Fran in, in Fran's message says you may not be able to change the world for everyone but for some you are the world even the tiniest gesture of kindness can mean the absolute world to someone which is true and it's it's like the late Tommy O'Brien from Abandoned very very much involved with uh, Belarus and his wonderful wife Liz it was Dami who got the candles, these Chernobyl candles many years ago, produced at night, night lights that we sold as fundraisers. And it was he came up with the 
with the line that it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And, you know, you can get overwhelmed when you see so much poverty and so much need in a country like that. But rather than walk away and say there's nothing I can do, even if we can just have, you know, the few people that we managed to help on this trip, you know, we've turned some of their lives uh, around and that one young girl living in, in that poverty, we're going to continue to help her because I know some people uh, want to send on some cash and we have that, you know, we have that young girl in mind that we certainly can uh, support. So thank you and thank you for the wonderful, wonderful uh, kind words that you are sending in. I really, really uh, do appreciate it. Now, coming up on the programme today, it's not going to be all about me crying for the next three hours. You will be delighted to hear. We're going to hear why Mallow needs a leap card system and this would help regular train commuters. And we're asking the question today, if there was a leap card system, which means you would get your train journeys uh, cheaper, would, if you're one of those people that commutes to work in the car, if you thought you could get on the train and get on the train cheaper, would you leave the car at home and would it help? We are having problems now with the amount of people commuting to work and, you know, the, the, the road between Mallow and Cork is just getting busier and busier every day. So do we need to look at something to encourage people to get out of their cars and to get on to public transport? After 11 today, we're going to be talking about the dangers of superbugs. And this is due to the overuse of antibiotics. Doctors for many years have been under huge pressure from their patients who are coming in who are insisting on getting an antibiotic and even though a doctor will know that antibiotic is not going to work some patients just won't leave the doctor's surgery unless they get an antibiotic and people are simply using too many antibiotics and we have these super bugs hospital acquired infections as you know some people are fearful of even going to hospital for fear that they'll come, come out of it sicker than they actually went in so what's the answer how do we get around uh, that a new two day festival due to be held in Mallow next weekend we'll have all of the details of that and it is Tuesday so we have have Joe Heffernan joining us on the programme and we're going to be discussing anxiety and anxiety is something that certainly um, I, I assume anxiety and people suffering from anxiety has always been there but we hear a lot more people admit that they're suffering from anxiety and a lot of famous people have come forward to admit that they're suffering from anxiety almost and I think that helps to normalise it a little bit if others know I'm not the only one going through this at the moment so why are we seeing so many people suffering from anxiety and what sort of help uh, is available that will be with Joe after half past 12 uh, today and I'm just getting a report in the Garda are operating a stop and go system on the Durris to Dumanis road in West Cork they're dealing with a collision near Durris so you can expect delays try for the next hour or so if you can avoid the uh, area if not you can expect delays that's on the Doris to Dunmanus Road Now last year over 1500 people signed a petition to bring the Leap Card system to Mallow Last week we heard the planning and design stage of the Cork to Limerick motorway would be happening this month as the Cork to Mallow Road sees tailbacks at various junctions every morning so the Leap Card may encourage more people to use public transport with lower fares. Cork East, Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock has been advocating for the Leap Card for Mallow for quite some time and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. Now you, I suppose firstly explain to listeners who may be unaware of the Leap Card how it actually works. 
The Leap card, effectively, is a little green travel card to all intents and purposes where you, if you are in possession of a Leap card on certain designated routes, you can have discounted travel. So on certain routes, the fares are up to 31% cheaper than your, your standard fare. And it's only applicable on routes where the fare, where the National Transport Authority has designated the route to be uh, LEAP viable, if you will, or, or, or where LEAP is, is deemed to be usable. And so on the Mallow to Cork route on the train, you, you don't have that service available. But in order for it to be sanctioned, it has to be sanctioned by the National Transport Authority and then they would liaise with Irish Rail and then Irish Rail then would introduce the service, if you will. And the National so, Transport Authority say that this service is not uh, suitable because it's uh, it's not suitable on intercity services and obviously Mallard to Cork is well, deemed intercity. That is, and they are using the argument uh, constantly uh, that it is an intercity service and because it's a Dublin to Cork or Cork to Dublin service and Mallow's an intermediate station, Mallow then doesn't have the right, if you will, uh, for or to use the, the LEAP services. But we've already gone back to the NTA using Irish Rail's own data and, you know, and we have proved the point that there are actual commuter trains which only serve between say Mallow, uh, Cork and then we say going east of Cork uh, which are specifically commuter trains between Mallow and Cove if you will which are not intercity trains proving then that the service which is is proving that it's not an intercity service but that it's a commuter service and therefore that should justify the use of uh, the uh, leap card we say between Mallow and Cork because it's already available between Cork and going east of Cork. Uh, so why shouldn't it not be available for services, uh, you know, from between Mallow and Cork? And you made an interesting point at the outset when you spoke about the Cork to Limerick motorway because I've been doing some research on this over the last week, and we we now have the figures uh, for uh, last year showing that there's a, approximately between Blarney and we say north of Mallow. 17,000 traffic movements both ways, uh, you know, by car or other vehicles on the road per day, uh, which, if you think about it, is an awful lot of traffic for mm. one, one area. If you could take 5% of that off the road and move it to, to rail, or if you can, you know, incentivize more people in Mallow and towns like Mallow uh, to use the rail service, then you're, you're taking traffic off the road. And, and your you know, argument would be ma- ma- make it cheaper is a great incentive for people to get out of their cars and get on the train. Absolutely, because I think a lot of people who are travelling to Cork on a daily basis, uh, you know, it, it, you, you have to be on the road by a certain time. If you miss your window, you're going to be late for work. You know, there's all sorts of issues then of trying to get parking. Now, in order for Leap to work, you have to get people into the trains in Mallow, but you have to make sure then that their onward journey when they get to Cork to their place of work is as seamless as possible yeah. so that they can use that Leap again, either bus or, or you know, well, yes, bus in Cork's case, uh, you know, because we don't have Dart and, you know, other services Lewis. or Lewis like yeah. that, you know. But what you need to do is... To, is to create the onward, the onward journey has to be seamless in order to incentivize people not to use their cars. But the the big target audience here really as well would be students. You know, for instance, you know, students going to CIT or UCC where they can use their leap card when they get to Cork. 
for an onward journey by bus out to Bishopstone or, or wherever. Uh, but then also, you know, we need to ensure then that, as I say, more and more people would be inclined to use it if they're working in the city centre because they say, well, look, all I have to do is get to Mallow Station. Uh, and once I'm in Cork, you know, I, I'm, I have a reduced fare. I can sit on the train. I have a half an hour, whatever it is. And, you know, that's the half an hour that I'm not in a car and my onward journey will be seamless enough. So, there, there would be, you know, you would need to do a lot of things to make sure that people's onward journey in Cork would be as seamless as possible, I think, before you would, you know, get a, okay. a, a, a big change. But you're, you're keeping the pressure up on the NTA is, 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 and, is your message. What we're waiting for now is that we're waiting for the Cork Area Metropolitan Transport uh, Strategy to be published. That's a bit of a mouthful. And what we have done is we've, we've written to the NTA, we've asked them to include the leap card from Mallow to incentivize people, you know, to for to use train travel, and we've asked that, that that would be included as a conclusion or a recommendation in this transport strategy. Because if you're talking about the wider Cork metropolitan area, you know, it will mean that you will have to extend uh, leap services. So, for instance, uh, and Eric Nolan has been talking about this, you know, about extending, say, the leap card service by bus from Carrick Tool to Middleton, because right now. The leap card go. You can use it as far as Carrick Tool, but you can't use it as far as Middleton on the bus. That is. So the more, the more incentives you provide for people to use public transport, and cost is a big factor for people. If people can use a cheaper mode of travel, and it's a public transport, and if you can take people out of their cars, then you know you have to create those incentives. Because why would you not? Uh, use the train, you know, if it meant that it was cheaper to do so than using your okay. car, if it meant that you can get to your place of work or study. Okay, know. and okay, and also as 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 I, I mentioned, the Cork to Limerick uh, motorway, the contract um, has been uh, awarded uh, for the Cork to Limerick Road Improvement Scheme. How confident are you of the, getting to the next stage? I spoke to a senior uh, engineer stroke manager uh, on that project last week. And they are telling me, he is telling me that they expect to have the route selection by the end of the year, that there is a process that they uh, have to go through there. Uh, so I, I am confident, but I, you know, we still have to keep on the pressure on this because, you know, with the National Children's Hospital, with the amount of money now that's going to flood from other resources like simple capital projects like roads and road maintenance and schools, uh, that are going to suffer as a result of the, the cost overruns at the National Children's Hospital. I'm not taking it for granted that we're going to have the Cork to Limerick Road. So I suppose the answer to that is I'm confident that the project is still, you know, on the table, but I am not leaving that to chance. And I think as one TD, just speaking for my own self, as one TD on that route, uh, I, I'm going to keep the pressure on because I think that there is a danger that the government, if they fall short, on spending for capital projects that, you know, projects like this would fall by the wayside. Yeah, because it's, 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 and it's outside the natural carriageway. Some of our listeners have been cynical saying uh, that when you hear a contract has been awarded and there must be an election looming, we know there's an, could this just be uh, false promises before an election? Well, I wouldn't have a lot of positive things to say about Shane Ross, to be fair about it, in terms of his handling of transport issues. But, uh, Two years ago, you know, we would have had a, you know, an indicative timeline and a spend, you know, from him. And largely speaking, you know, they have kept faith with that spend in terms of the stages that need to be gone through to get this uh, completed. 
I could make hay out of this as an opposition politician. I could be very rhetorical about it and play the populist card. But I think what people living between Cork and Limerick want and serving towns like Mallow and Charleville and Butterfield and so on, you know, I think what they want is their politicians working on this to keep the pressure on from all sides and working on this as a community issue. So I, I believe that the project will go ahead. That's my honest view. But I, I am not leaving it to chance. I still think that we need to keep the pressure on. And the money seems to be coming for the different stages. So right now it's route planning. The next stage after that, obviously, would be acquisition of, of land and so on. But let's not leave anything to chance. OK, yet. and, and Ruth, Ruth is raising an issue that we discussed a few weeks ago. It says, ask uh, Sean what are his views, uh, views on the alternative route off the existing Cork to Dublin motorway, the M8. Uh, the backers of that say it's a cheaper option, less money for the taxpayer. Well, it was coming from a... There was a group set up. I can't remember what the name of the group is. It's a lobby organisation. I understand that one of those members... The Cork Limerick Alliance group. Yeah, yeah. I think one of those members stood or sought a nomination for Fine Gael in the local election, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not sure what their motives are. And I don't know where they get their costing. But I'm, I'm... nailing my colours to the mast on this one. Patricia, I think the towns of Mallow and Budafant and Charleville, I think, you know, they they, they need to be uh, freed up uh, and they need a bit of breathing space. And if you're talking about 17,000 vehicles per day increasing uh, and increasing year on year, because we've looked at the figures for the last three years, passing, we'll say, between those three towns every day, uh, you know, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to load those 17,000 vehicles onto the existing uh, infrastructure east of Cork City, uh, you know, through the Jack Lynch uh, and, and head north from there up to Mitchelstown and take a spur off that? You know, that's, that, that puts a massive pressure on that road. So my own view, based on the advice that I've sought from professionals, is that the, the route that was there in 2010, 2011, is the most beneficial route. People will differ. Some people have their own motives for wanting to cut across to Mitchellstown and bypass the Galtys and in, you know, south of Limerick. Uh, but I believe that this is the most beneficial route okay. that, and that's the route that I'm on. OK, we'll keep an eye on it. Thank you for that, Sean. And uh, thanks Thank for joining you. us on the, on the programme. That is East Cork Adult Deputy Sean uh, Sherlock on the leap card that we invited Sean to speak about. And Ingland Meyer says we have to change the mindset when it comes to Cork and the leap card. Uh, Mallow is now fast turning into a commuter town and that needs to be recognised if groups in Mallow, like the Chamber example, etc., want the town to grow. Uh, it needs to be recognised that Mallow is now a commuter town. Also, Sean mentioned the leap card to Middleton. Carrick Tool is part of the Cork metropolitan area. So that is why the leap card service serves Carrick Tool. It's now like Glanmire fast becoming a city suburb but again Middleton is a fast growing uh, commuter town and the leap card should be allowed in Middleton but again people that make decisions in the city feel Middleton is in East Cork and Mallow is in North Cork and they are too far away when in fact these towns are commuter uh, areas just like the counties in and around uh, Dublin and Brian in Mallow says unfair that the leap card is not available in Mallow who decides 
this. Why not include the area when we drive? We're caught up in tailbacks at Grenna and now we're forced to pay higher fees by train. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day and of course we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Talking of great songs, you're listening out for three great songs from Rod Stewart because that was something else that happened while I was off last week. I heard on Thursday that we've had the highest listenership figures ever for this programme and we've kind of been beating records for the last number of listenership figures that have come out it's kind of been steady 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 and I was convinced that we weren't going to increase again on last week's book and boy we did so it was uh, terrific and um, on behalf of myself and John Paul a huge huge thank you uh, for listening because you, you're what make this programme uh, all worthwhile and to celebrate our great C103 listenership figures across all of the day parts we're giving away some money we're giving away three thousand euro we've got a 3k triple play your chance to win 3,000 euro you've got to you listen out for three songs we've done this before with various other artists it's Rod Stewart's turn this time the three songs you're listening out for Rhythm of My Heart Baby Jane and then Do You Think I'm Sexy we have to play the songs in that order uninterrupted and then when you hear the third song that's when you get dining 1850 333 103 and caller 103 will win the 3000 euros that's the Rod Stewart 3k triple play of course, it's all part of also counting down to his Cork uh, concert. But it's our way here at C103 of saying thank you for listening to C103. So keep a uh, listen out for those Rod Stewart songs. Talking of music, something else I missed while I was away uh, over the weekend was Friday night's Late Late Show. And it was the special country music show. According to Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear, he says it was disastrous. The Late Late Show country music show on Friday. He uses the words disastrous. He said while you were away, you didn't miss anything on the TV. That's for sure. He says the sooner RTE drop that, the better for country music. Uh, the are otherwise. Um, Otherwise, or change the producers of the show, otherwise they will bury it. To be very mild, it was disastrous. So a show that should have been the highlight of the year was just a pure insult to the country music and the talent that's in this country uh, on a weekend, especially with the beautiful weather and so much dancing going on everywhere else. No, I'm taken aback by that because normally that country, the Late Late Show country music special show, because they, you know, they do a lot of, they promo it well in advance. And if you're a country music fan, you've got to make sure that you're in on that Friday night to sit down and watch uh, the Late Late Show. And normally it gets glowing reports. So I really am taken aback. I don't know if it was... Was it particularly different to any other year or what was wrong with it? But I'll throw it out there because I know we would have a lot of country and country music fans listening and a lot of country music fans, certainly in the Cork area, 
So did you watch The Late Late on Friday? How did you feel about it? Would you be with Michael thinking the show was disastrous? Uh, your views and your comments are very much welcomed. And uh, Heidi uh, is on about Brian, MEP, well, former MEP. Is he former MEP, Brian Crowley? He's probably still MEP at the moment until we have the European elections and this news story that came out, I think I saw it online yesterday uh, because, of course, we know Brian Crowley is not running in the next European elections. He is retiring from politics and he is now entitled to severance packages of more than €350,000 over the next two years. That's the payout and he'd have a pension pot of £1.4 Heidi in the text uh, says you have to wonder how they can justify handing that amount of money to one person while the rest of us are just struggling on. I've said it before, all of the guys and gals on PAYE are taxed to the hilts and really carry this economy while the likes of people who enter politics walk away with figures we can only dream of. It is unfair to hardworking people. And Heidi adds, he's nothing personally against Brian Crowley. It could have been anyone getting the same figure. Um, but she just feels it's the amount of money that they give to politicians and particularly the European politicians does that need to be looked at and he won't be the only one to be receiving that sum of money because there are other MEPs who are also deciding not to run and of course there will be MEPs who will lose their position when they don't get re-elected and we assume they will be entitled to severance packages and it's all calculated and based on the years of service uh, etc and it's based on isn't it a proportion of their actual salary. It is a lot of money I have to say a 350k payout and then a pension pot of 1.4 million and Heidi is right for the majority of us working either who have a public pension or a private pension we can only dream of having sums like that in our pension at the end of the day. So your thoughts on that uh, please 1850 at 103 and someone else was um, uh, wondering what's happening with the Commons Inn. I was travelling yesterday when I saw it on Twitter that the Commons Inn on the Mallow Road uh, was on fire over five hours. Well done to the firefighters. Over five hours was spent at the scene putting the fire out. There was 300 cruise line passengers there so the hotel I take it was absolutely full. I know there was another family function I read in one of the papers I think it was a funeral the afters of a funeral they were they were back God help them you know they were going through their own personal grief with for something like that uh, to happen the management of the Commons Inn have said that a detailed assessment will have to be carried out before they can say when business will resume but well done to the management and everybody involved in the Commons uh, Inn because it was there their swift evacuation nobody thankfully nobody was injured and please God and hopefully they will get that hotel back up and and running because it's a popular popular venue and a lot of people certainly uh, I included very saddened to see yesterday that that hotel was on fire so we will await their detailed assessment uh, to see how long it's going to be before they return to normal. That is because it's a popular, popular venue. That is a venue that is going to be missed. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Martin in Fomoy says, Patricia, I see on the news that humanity 
is on the brink of extinction. There will be no need for smartphones, laptops, uh, elections, big fast cars, big houses, money. We're all doomed, says Martin. It'll be the same as when the dinosaurs died out millions of years ago and it's all our own fault. One million animal and plant species now face extinction. It's very upsetting. What kind of Egypts are we? I don't think even God will be able to help us, says Martin in Formoy. Yeah, I know that's a report that's out. It's a, a very worrying and a shocking report. I mean, you have people still poo-hooing climate change and saying, oh, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing to do with what we're doing. It's got everything to do with what we're doing and how we've lived our lives. And that whole issue around single-use uh, plastics. But I was taken aback to read that one million animal and plant species face uh, extinction and if we keep going the way we are going mankind will be facing ex- extinction not obviously in our lifetime but in um, the, the not too distant future I have a funny feeling but it's one thing I'm always saying will a future generations looking back at us thinking what were they thinking of why didn't they shout stop it is great that we've got a younger generation who are very environmentally aware and they need to be very environmentally aware because they are the ones that we need who need something done now in order that they will have a future and that they will be able to have children and that they will be able to, you know, the world as we know it will continue. Uh, So we're hoping to do something on that report. I know we were too busy to get to it today, but perhaps we'll get to it uh, tomorrow. And we've had a listener contact us. Now, I need to check with John Paul. I don't have the full text on this script as to what this is needed for. I'm assuming it's needed for some kind of a play, the wicker is a play, is it? It's some kind of a play that's going on somewhere uh, in Cork County, happening next November. And a photograph have been, has been sent into us. They are looking for either to borrow or does anybody know where one could buy one? It's a wicker chair. You know the wicker chair. It's with the very high back on on it and a round high back on it. You could see yourself sitting in a kind of a sun room on a wicker chair. You'd need to put a cushion on now to make it a little bit more comfortable. But the wicker chairs with the very high backs on them, maybe somebody has one in their home. I haven't seen wicker chairs like that in many, many years. If anybody knows of a shop where maybe you spotted one, maybe a second-hand shop, an antique shop, maybe is selling one of these or if you have one, we have a local drama group who are looking to borrow or to buy one of these very high back wicker chairs. They need it for a production that they're doing in November. If you can help us with that, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103Jobs. A full-time cashier stroke accounts administrator is required. It's for Newmarket Credit Union. Coach drivers are required for day and evening driving. That's in the Mallow area. Current CCP cards, please. Rainbow's Hair Studio, they're in Charleville. They're looking for full and part-time stylist. While a planning coordinator is uh, wanted. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Now, a new festival for North Cork will take place this May. The two-day festival will celebrate Cork food, music and Cork's love of horse racing and it will be held in the Cork Race Course in Mallow. Andrew Horgan is General Manager of Cork Race Course in Mallow and he joins me in studio. Good afternoon or good morning to you Andrew. I know where I am with the day. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, you're very welcome. Firstly the last time we had you in studio was for the Racing Home for Easter Festival. How did they come into that microphone by the way? Um, hugely successful. Yeah brilliant 
European festival with record crowds just everything seemed to fall into place weather was great brilliant racing um, it just all uh, worked out for us and we were really delighted the atmosphere was great and the day feedback has been very positive so looking forward now to the, the Race and Taste Festival Yeah now tell me about this it's Race and uh, Taste and uh, it's you're, you're hooking up with the Barry Group Yeah we're delighted um, the Barry Group have come on board as title sponsors of the festival and their support has been huge really appreciate that Um no it's a really exciting festival I suppose it goes back to two years ago we decided to do a new seven furlong straight on the track which is very exciting for racing in Ireland in general and especially to have it on our doorstep in Cork it's unique it's the only straight level seven furlong track in Ireland so we'd have aspirations to get the best racing up to group one level and we did trials last Tuesday week and we champion trainer Aidan O'Brien champion jockey Donica a lot of other very good jockeys Chris Hayes Wayne Lorden and they were they were blown away with it and they're very very excited about it and why is it unusual to have a seven furlong on the straight why is Um, is it just a space issue space issue and the majority of tracks in Ireland historically it's they're around a bend so there is a bias the horse and the inner has a bigger advantage and I suppose if you have the real top class horses that at group one level that are going for a career in stud or um, if something like that can affect them winning it devalues them considerably I suppose even the thousand guineas which would be classic or two thousand guineas in new market there was a bit of negative publicity it's a straight but I suppose there's undulations that there is a slight bias in that but um, we're delighted that we can provide a very fair straight level track and, and obviously as you say you, you're already tri- you've already tried it so jockeys and trainers yeah, are very happy with it very happy and very excited we couldn't have been happier the way the trials have went and delighted the way the whole industry has got behind us in the country and then for Barry Group to get behind us and we also it's be called the Matchbook Straight 7 Matchbook are um, a betting company in based in Cork City and they've got behind us too and they're sponsoring practically all the races on the course and title sponsors so like the Aviva Stadium you'll have yeah. the Matchbook Straight 7 in Cork Great. and I suppose with it being the, the opening of it we're delighted with Michael Creed Minister coming to um, do the official opening but we just wanted to do more create a new festival like Easter so we got in touch with the Barry Group so obviously they have the food festival we've celebrity chefs such as Rory O'Connell Martin Shanahan Lily Higgins and we also brought in we've a lot of food producers as well such as Ballymaloo and that so there's a great mix there on the so evening So there'll be, there'll be food producers and it'll be like a food festival out at the race course out while the racing is going on? Going on yes we well. have a festival marquee there and you'll have the celebrity chef demonstrations and the food um, producers there we also have ladies day 
um, that's sponsored by Photo Island in Cork and we have um, the guest judges Maura Duran well wow. also delighted to have Brent Pope there as he's Barry Group's ambassador he'll be there on the day and to cap it off the Frank and Walters are playing after racing so um, really there's something for everybody there from the best racing to the food festival ladies day so there's so much so much going on and it's a two-day festival with national hunt racing on saturday so the best of everything and really appreciate the way everybody in cork has got behind this so it's friday and saturday isn't friday it? Friday and saturday of this of this, of this week, weekend this friday okay. night so gates are open at 3 30 on friday and 12 o'clock on saturday is this um, andrew becoming more popular for racing that it's, you've got to offer the punters more than just racing yes i think people want to come to it's a social occasion it's an event and i think you can have brilliant racing but you need other attractions to go with it to make it a really good night or a good day and is that what happens in other countries as well that it's it's sort of popular that that there will be more on yes yeah to an extent yeah no at other countries in the uk they're doing um a lot of they're doing a lot of different festivals. Um, I'm not sure has anybody bought food into it yet, yeah, but um, it's great. we think it's really exciting. And it's great because I think it, it, will, it will attract people who may not necessarily have an interest in the racing side of it, but then could end up developing and re- finding out more about racing. Yeah, and, that's, and it's all about being like it's just a great social occasion so you mightn't be as you said mightn't be into the racing but you can come look at the the chef demonstrations the food or the ladies day and you might watch a race or two yeah, as well yeah. but and those food festivals are, are great um, I know West Cork are particularly uh, popular for having food festivals but it's a great way to test out products yeah because you're always tasting things going on Taking it's great to sample them yeah. and um, no it's it's great for people to taste the samples and for the producers to to raise the profile of their products and that so do you think it's win win for everybody will it become a, an annual event you have a feeling yeah no yeah. We'd have, we definitely have aspirations and um, to become an annual event and the vibes are very good and we're expecting uh, huge attendances again on the back of Easter so really excited um, it's great it's great value entry is 15 euro for adults 10 euro for OAPs and students and under 14s are free so great value for the day out and so again, do you want families to come would you, fam- would you see if Yes, love to see families there. Everybody is welcome. And that's young and old, a great mix. Similar to Easter, there's something for everybody there. And um, we're delighted to be, the weather is looking good as well. Well, I was only talking about the weather earlier. It's bad for this week, but it's picking up at the weekend. So Friday and Saturday are good, so fingers crossed. You definitely have the gods (laughs) smiling down on you when it comes to to the weather, that's for sure. Okay, we wish you good luck uh, with it, Andrew. Uh, Somebody's saying, what time is the racing on? So just give us the The times again. first race is 5.35 on Friday night and it's uh, 1.50 on Saturday Okay, alright good luck with it um, Andrew I'll be thank you for joining us in studio this morning uh, good morning to you that is um, Andrew Hogan uh, who is the manager of Cork Race Court and getting reports in a lot of accidents
this morning. We are getting reports now of a single car collision at Bale Nablaw. Emergency services are en route. If you're en route to that area, you can expect delays. So try to avoid it's a single car collision at Bale Nablaw. The second or the third this morning in uh, West Cork. Mind yourselves, please. Uh, out on the roads, 1850 333 103. On the Late Late Show, uh, Evelyn and Mallow said there wasn't enough music on the Late Late Show. So I agree with what Michael from Castletown Bear or Castletown Bear said earlier. He said the Late Late Show. This is the special country music one. It was disastrous, was what he said. Somebody else says with regards to the Late Late Show, there was simply too much talking on Friday night. I thought that they would sing a song by way of tribute to Big Tom, as he made most of those nights. But he didn't. And of course, we've lost uh, Big Tom uh, since. Some of your WhatsApps uh, in. Francis says, Patricia, the Late Late Show last Friday was terrible. Hardly any singing. The girl that won the competition. I don't know who this girl is. She's already on the scene in Ireland. She wasn't a newcomer to the music industry. Uh, it's from Francis. Thank you, Francis. Someone else says, I always love watching the Late Late Show country music special. And I was really looking forward to it on Friday night. But I have to agree with your previous callers and listeners to the programme. I too was disappointed uh, with it. That's the general gist of what we're getting in about last Friday night's Late Late. But then Teresa turns it all on its head and says, OMG, Patricia, I don't know what show those people were watching because the Late Late Show, country music show last Friday was Fantastic. That's from Teresa. Can I just say, Teresa, and I'm just very quickly going down through, there's a lot of calls and texts coming in on this. You're on your own at the moment. That's not to say that there won't be others. And I know John Paul's been very busy on the phone, so I don't know much of the reaction that he's getting, but certainly on the texts and WhatsApps that come into me straight to the studio, so I get to see them first. You are on your own. Uh, Jim says, I didn't see the Late Late show, but heard there wasn't enough music and there was too much fake tan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> says Jim has fake tan made its way into the country and western scene in uh, Ireland I don't know but anyway that's the kind of the mixed bag that we're getting from uh, people John Paul is saying he's getting more calls saying disaster uh, as well so it's only Teresa so far was the only one that really uh, enjoyed it. Can I give a mention to somebody who messaged us earlier and I was quite saddened to read this and to see if we can offer advice to this listener and now I know she doesn't want me to say where she is and I don't know if she wants me to say her name so let me just call her Meg okay we'll call her Meg Meg has been on to us to say is there any way you can help me I decided to revamp a room in my house I got a stove put in for the back boiler fire, which started out as a disaster, as I had no hot water for the radiators. I paid everyone up front. My flooring was to be put down today at lunchtime, furniture coming Thursday and blinds, and I have the curtains ready to hang up. But the problem is my painter has left me down. He started last Tuesday, worked for a few hours. He did the same on Wednesday. I paid him in full on Thursday. He went home at 2pm. By the way, I had to collect him every day to bring him to the house to do the work. I gave him lunch and he must have had more than 12 mugs of coffee every single day. He never came back on Friday and then did come on Friday, but only did come on Saturday, but only worked for two hours. 
Now obviously Meg was explaining to him that she was under pressure needed all the work done by Tuesday because the flooring was coming in and obviously the new furniture was going to be delivered. He told me he would come yesterday even though it was a bank holiday uh, Monday but he promised me faithfully he would come. He ignored all of my calls. I went to his apartment only to be knocked back with the strong smell of alcohol. He told me to collect him this morning, this Tuesday morning at 8am. And again, he promised he'd get all of the work done, but he didn't show up. I turned to, I, I drove to collect him. He wouldn't answer the door and he wouldn't answer my telephone calls. Is there anyone out there that can offer me help or advice, uh, please? Kind regards, uh, Meg. Now, I'm assuming, uh, have you, did you get the, is the, is the person coming to fit the floors going to still arrive? The, the, the first mistake, and and um, she's going through a tough time now without me criticising her, should she not have paid up front? Do you wait until all of the jobs are done? Because I'm wondering if that painter, if you'd waited to pay him when all the work had been done, I guarantee you he would have had the work finished. But to come for a few hours on Wednesday and a few hours on Thursday, not show on Friday, then only do two hours on Saturday, then promise he'd come back holiday Monday, didn't. And then again this morning, all the promises under the sun, but he has the money gone. Is that the mistake? Should Meg, and, and I'm wondering what do other, I'm trying to think whenever I've worked done like that workman done I've never thankfully been let down by workmen but I would always pay would you always pay at the end I mean she's obviously a very trusting person and is trying to accommodate the workers that she's having into her house so she's giving them the money up front but is that the fatal mistake that she's made in this case and is she ever going to get your man back in even though she's paid him now in full to get the paintwork at done. I'm wondering where you went for your recommendation on the painter. I think for all of those kind of work, it's, it is word of mouth. I would never get anybody like that in. And, and I give that advice to anybody looking to have work done. Make sure you get them, get, that they come recommended by, you know, a close family friend or family member or somebody who's done work in somebody else's house so you can get to see the work and that you know that they come uh, highly recommended but if anyone who has advice for Meg as to where she goes or what she does now or what's the mistake and is that the big mistake that she should not have paid him up front Superbugs will be a bigger killer than cancer by 2050 if antibiotics continue to be overused it's estimated that 37,000 Europeans die as a result of or died last year as a result of a superbug infection and that was up from 25,000 in 2015 the Irish College of General Practitioners lead advisor on antibiotic When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Resistance is Douglas GP, Dr. Nula O'Connor. And uh, Nula joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Nula. Morning. Uh, and you're welcome. They are really quite stark uh, figures. Bugs like MRSA become immune to uh, antibiotics. And is, is it simply because we're all taking or have been taking too many antibiotics? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's slightly more complex than that. Um, I mean, obviously, antibiotics are used in human health, they're used in animal health, and they're also used in the environment. Um, uh, w- so um, what's happened is bugs have been around for millions of years. And you must remember, antibiotics have only been around since 1945. So when penicillin was discovered in 1945, uh, it was absolutely a wonder drug because at that time, if you look at posters from World War One, it was thanks to penicillin he will come home mm. because it was used to people dying very much from infections, and uh, it, it was very common uh, for uh, people to lose one, if not two, children to some type of an infective um, uh, illness back then. Um, but bugs are very clever, and what they did is they quickly found ways to try to resist um, this new enemy enemy that was trying to kill them. And so they started to develop antibiotic resistance. And initially, it didn't matter so much because we, we developed new types of antibiotics and then within them, we got, you know, we kind of modified them and, 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 and kept improving them. But for the last 30 years, really, uh, we've developed very little new antibiotics and world experts uh, think that the current antibiotics they have are probably the best we'll ever have. So what we have to do is two things. Is Number one, we have to get much um, more careful about how we use these antibiotics. And then the second thing is we have to be better about trying to stop the spread of infections. Um, you may know that uh, Sunday was actually um, World Hand Hygiene Day. Yeah. Um, and that was really about emphasising the importance that clean hands can really save lives. And this, you're not just talking about in hospitals, you're talking about everywhere. Well, absolutely. You know, the commonest way that we pick up infections actually um, is actually because our hands become contaminated and we either touch our hands to our face or we don't go and wash our hands like your mum used to tell you what to do yeah. before, before you eat. 
Um, and then we put bugs um, onto our food and then we put it straight into our mouths ourselves. So you, you just have to assume um, that there are bugs everywhere, you know. So, you know, you're inside and work, you're looking at a keyboard, you're picking up a, a phone, you go into the gym, you know, the equipment inside there, kids inside in schools, um, inside in crashes. You know, people are, are, are coughing and, you know, they're splutting around the place. You know, maybe not everyone's personal hygiene is as good as your own. So you can just quickly see how how... Um, surfaces tend to get contaminated with bugs um, and a, you know, if somebody ha- happens to have an, in, um, an infective bug if it's just a, a common viral infection um, um, but that's really how they're transmitted so most coughs, colds, sore throat, vomiting and diarrhea, earaches uh, most of those are actually um, spread to us um, a because we touch a contaminated surface and we actually put those bugs into our mouths ourselves. The second way that you get them is literally if somebody coughs into your face. Now, it's very hard if somebody coughs into your face um, to avoid getting an infection, which is why the, you know, the, it, in the old way it used to be was, you know, um, cough into your hand or into a tissue and bin it. Now what we're advising people to do is to turn away and cough into your elbow you both turn away from the person so you're not coughing into their airspace. Yeah. And most of the time people don't have tissues next to them when the cough or sneeze is coming on. So if they cough into their elbow, most of it is actually going on to their clothes. Um, and if you do happen to have a tissue or if you cough into your hand, you then need to go and wash your hands. And it's funny, I was travelling uh, over the weekend and I was in and out of a few airports and the one thing you will notice, it seems to be mainly Chinese people when they're walking through very public areas like an airport, they have the face mask on. Are they actually being sens- very sensible? Well, they are actually. Um, um, and they've gotten more used to it as well because they're such a problem with smog um, in, in their own countries. But yes, they are. Although, to be honest, they probably would be better carrying um, alcohol gel. Actually, it's the security part of the airport, you know, where you're taking everything on and off. Yeah. And that is the highest risk area in the airport. So really what you should be doing is that when you get to the end of that... Have your hand gel. Yeah. And, and the other thing is just don't... You need, we need to train ourselves not to put our hands up to our face. You know, picking up virus, people start chewing virus. You know, if you watch around inside in your office space there today, I'm sure you'll spot at least 10 times when somebody uh, had their hands or, or, or an object up near their face. I just had my hand up as you were talking and when you started, I took it down straight away. <laughs> <laughs> but on the antibiotics, Nula, I mean, as a GP, do you constantly have to battle with patients to say and an antibiotic is going to do you no good? Go home and go to bed and, you know, dope yourself up with uniflus or, or, or whatever is good for you. Well, I, I wouldn't quite use the word battle because to be fair, um, I do think that the um, a, a public knowledge about this has improved. You okay. know, I think in most people now, we, we there was um, a Healthy Ireland survey uh, which showed that that lot more people now are aware that antibiotics um, um, you can develop can develop resistance. That we need to be careful about antibiotics. And interestingly, ninety four percent of Irish people trust their GP to make the decision for them as to whether they need antibiotics or not. Um, so I think that that that's changing. But at the same time, you know, we do what we really need is people to listen to their doctor. Okay, so if somebody comes in to me 
And the, a lot of the things that I see uh, in general practice, which would be your coughs, your colds, your sore throats, your earaches, vomiting and diarrhea, they are caused by viruses. Now, antibiotics are very specific medicines. They kill bacteria. They do nothing to viruses. They also do not bring your temperature down and they do not relieve pain. So most of the times when you're feeling miserable, you have a temperature, you have aches and pains all over. Um, And so the antibiotic won't do anything for that. All an antibiotic will do is if you're suffering from a bacterial infection, it will kill the bacteria. So for the vast majority of things that we have, the best thing to do is take some time off work, paracetamol and ibuprofen, um, drink plenty of fluids and allow your own body, allow your own immune system to uh, recover. So I think when you go into your GP and your GP checks you out and they say, look, I think this is the viral infection. I think you're going to get better by yourself. These are a few things that you can take to relieve the symptoms to make you feel a little bit better. Um, But in this instance, you don't need an antibiotic. I think we need to change our attitudes that that, that's a good consultation. That's a good outcome. Instead of people say, oh, my God, I went into the doctor and I, I came away with nothing. And when we're talking about the spread of bugs, an issue that often comes up on this programme is the shaking hands at the sign of peace in church. And we, there's a kind of a divide. We've got some people think it's a lovely tradition and we've got other people who worry about it because of the passing on of bugs. And Mary in Canturk was on to say in her local church in Canturk uh, there had been an outbreak of flu. So the priests announced that they weren't going to be doing the sign of peace. But he brought it back in last Sunday. Mary says there are still coughing flus and colds out there and she's against the shaking of hands, interested in in your opinion on it, Nuala? Okay. Well, when there is a known influenza outbreak, the public health advice um, is that we should stop shaking our hands in the church, okay? And that, that is national public health policy. Um, you know, communication is really, really important uh, in society and social communication is really, really important, you know, because we're in, in much more fragmented society. And for many people, that communication um, in, um, at um, Mass on a Sunday or wherever, whatever congregation, whatever type of religion you are, that's a really, really important social content. But again, I think you could answer the question yourself. So if I shake hands with you, but I don't actually touch my hands to my face. Even if you have bugs on your hands and they're mm. on my hands, as long as I don't touch my hands to my face and before I go to prepare food for somebody else or to eat myself, I wash my hands, then I'm not going to pick up that infection. Are you worried about the number of hospital-acquired infections, Nula? I am, actually. Um, I, I'm, I suppose I'm worried um, that... You know, it's becoming more risky for all of us um, when we go into hospital. And if you think back to um, the pre-antibiotic era, and if you look at a lot of what we're able to do now, and we just take for granted in modern medicine, right? So most orthopedic um, operations, so hip operations, knee replacements, um, um, chemotherapy, patients are often supported by, um, by antibiotics. Um, a lot of operations, that, all sorts of operations that people have, they're supported by using antibiotics. So if we have a situation whereby um, you, you, you can pick up an infection and there are no antibiotics to treat it, then you know that's, that's a very serious thing. And doctors are facing that right around the world every day. Um, and it's not just elderly people. Uh, there are children, there are people undergoing chemotherapy where their immune systems themselves are suppressed or they're undergoing complex surgery. 
and a it's you know in hospitals we have to be very good again about practicing hand hygiene and there's a few other techniques we need to use in hospitals uh, just to try to stop the spread of infections but also you know we need patients themselves you know when they're in hospital to be careful about their hand hygiene visitors to be careful about hand hygiene but i think um you know these um, multi-drug resistant infections um i think they're here to stay um uh, i think it's it, it's very difficult uh, to get rid of them completely um what we all we can hope to do is to try to stem the tide um, and that's why my talk last week was about, you know, um, the rise of the superbugs and what we can do to try and actually uh, stem the rise of them. OK, I let that message go out today that it's good hygiene, hand hygiene uh, can be the key. Important. OK. Hand, the key messages are hand hygiene and only use antibiotics when they're really necessary. And just there's one website I'd just like if for your readers I think you might find helpful. It's called www.undertheweather.ie. So what it is, is this is a HSE-run um, uh, website. It's written by GPs for patients. And it's all about if you or your loved one has a cough, cold, sore throat, temperature, vomiting and diarrhea, what you can do for yourself, uh, yourself um, uh, when you should seek help. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Nula, enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, Good morning to you. That is Dr. Nula O'Connor, who is the Irish College of General Practitioners Lead Advisor on Antibiotic Resistance. And she is based in uh, Douglas. We need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday. I will catch up on uh, a lot of your commentary coming in this morning. I can see advice from Meg, who got stung by the painter, that and more. And of course, uh, Joe Heffernan will join us and we're talking after half 12 today talking about anxiety. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts are coming in to us on hospital-inquired infections. Not just hospital-inquired infections, but superbugs because uh, they're not just in hospital where you pick up these uh, superbugs. And our chat with uh, Dr. Nula uh, O'Connor that was really interesting about the overuse of antibiotics and we're all sort of paying the price now for the overuse of antibiotics. But I thought our piece on hand hygiene, that's the key to this. This could be one way we can all protect ourselves from these superbugs is to have really good hand hygiene and to start reinforcing good hand hygiene in our children. That then led to the shaking of hands at uh, Mass. Donna says, Hi Patricia, I wonder what you you, your listeners think about the shaking of hands at funerals. Well, I think that's a lovely gesture. I think if you're going along to a funeral, you're going along to sympathise with someone, I think it's a lovely gesture uh, to shake hands. And listening to Dr Nula, when she was talking this morning, she was talking about it isn't the actual, if you shake somebody's hand and, and you pick up a bug, It's what you do next. If you end up putting your hand up to your mouth or you don't wash your hands before you prepare food or you don't wash your hands before you use food, that's when the bug that's on your hand that you picked up from somebody else will end up getting into your mouth. So it isn't actually the shaking of the hand. It's what you do next that counts. So if you are a bit, you know, wary going along to a funeral and you're afraid, you know, by shaking the hands of bereaved people you're afraid you're going to pick up a bug then make sure when you get back home before you eat anything or before you put your hand anywhere near your face you make sure that you wash your hands but I thought what she was talking about where I I certainly am somebody I use my hands I'm, I'm sitting here now and my hands are going I use my hands a lot in speech and I know I do it when I'm on air as well because I know how many times I hit the microphone like that and I get murdered for it but I have a tendency as well 
if if I'm really listening to somebody, I can put a hand up to my face without even realising that I'm doing it. So I think that's how we'll end up putting bugs into our mouths. So we just have to be careful and good hand uh, hygiene. So uh, no, Donald, I would never like to see us get to a stage where we would stop shaking hands at a funeral. I think that's a lovely, lovely gesture. And somebody else says, Patricia, the bugs are thriving in hospitals because of the heat. I think anyone that goes to a hospital, we all have a tendency to complain about the heat, but I suppose they have to keep the temperature of a hospital at a certain temperature and at a warm temperature because people are in their night dresses and their pyjamas and that they're in bed and there are people that are very unwell. So they need to keep the temperature at a current level. I've never heard or read any article to support that the bugs are thriving because they're in a warm environment. Because remember these super bugs while yes they're in hospital hospitals they're not just in hospitals they're out in the community we all have a certain amount of these bugs on us are in us at any one time so you can't just say it's down to the heat of the hospital it's just the bugs are very clever and have become very clever over the years at becoming antibiotic resistance and unfortunately we're getting to the stage from the scientists point of view because you would like to think that they are more clever than the bugs but they are now saying that they're getting to the stage they don't think that they can invent anything any better than what we have at the moment and that's where the real worry will come in and that statistic that I gave out at the top of the interview with Dr Nula 37,000 people died as a result of a superbug in Europe last year and that's a rise from just three years previously it had been at 25,000 and that in itself 25,000 people dying in 2015 was a staggering figure but in three years that figure went up to 37,000 if I'm still doing the show in three years time and I'll come back with another figure I guarantee you it'll even be higher we need to all take control of this one this is something we can all do to protect ourselves and to protect our loved ones thank you for your comments now some advice coming in or not really advice I suppose people giving their views on what what happened to one of our listeners who we're calling Meg who was getting some jobs done in her house because she was getting a new uh, fire in a new boiler of one of those pot belly stoves I'm, I'm assuming it is a, st- a stove in front of the back boiler just getting some work done decided to revamp one of the rooms a lot of work had to be done and uh, she was waiting getting everything done for the flooring to be put down today and then some new uh, furniture to arrive on Thursday and she's new blinds being fitted and she has the curtains everything was going according to plan but the, the painter that she has employed came and did a bit of work on Tuesday a bit of work on Wednesday I think Meg's big mistake was she paid him in full on Thursday he went home then at 2 o'clock probably shortly after he was paid didn't do any work on Friday did a couple of hours on Saturday promised he'd be back bank holiday Monday didn't promised he'd be there today and when I say there she has to collect him from his apartment and bring him to her house but she arrived this morning and he wouldn't answer the door of his apartment and he wouldn't answer his phone and she contacted us really really uh, upset and uh, wondering if anybody could advise her and then I, I was making the point that when you employ a workman like that you should always get some kind of a recommendation family member a friend whatever get you know recommend uh, somebody and she's back she obviously heard me say that because she's back on by WhatsApp to say Patricia yes a friend heard he was great now is that a good enough recommendation I don't know some of your thoughts coming in on this one let me see uh, Douglas Nissner says Patricia yes you were right this is when I made the point that I think Meg's mistake was paying him last Thursday she shouldn't have paid him up front she should have waited until 
all of the work was done she was happy with the work and then gave him the price that she agreed Douglas Listener says you're right uh, you shouldn't pay for work in advance a man came to weed my garden I had to go out and pay him in advance that was the only way he would agree to do the work he downed tools the minute I was gone and he left a right mess says a Douglas uh, Listener who I, th- I take it has learnt and will never ever pay up front again. Uh, Breathe says, Patricia, good to have you back. Thank you. And there are two bad payers. The one that pays up front and the one that doesn't pay at all, says uh, Breathe. By WhatsApp, uh, listeners says, no, that's on the late, late. Sorry, no, there were some calls into John Paul. Oh, there was, yeah. Uh, and Botwin says, um, that lady Meg broke every rule in the book with regards to that painter. The poor woman feel really sorry for her, but a fool and their money are soon parted. Jim in Watergrass Hill says, that lady was simply robbed. Also, can he stand over his jobs? Sounds like he can't. It sounds like he doesn't want work and doesn't need the money. And she was just simply being too decent, handing over the money to him up front. And Tom Infamoy says she was simply too kind hearted, paying him up front. Keep banging on the door until he wakes up is Tom's advice. And a final one from Sheila says there is no way he is a qualified painter if she had to collect him and drive him out to her house. Also, Sheila wonders, is he on social welfare? And if so, said Sheila, I know what I would be doing. Oh, oh, OK, I don't know. I have no way of knowing if the man was is is on social welfare uh, or not or if Meg paid in cash. I have no way of knowing that. Anyway, that's just some of the cause, but the... Everybody kind of agreeing with what I said when I read it up front. Uh, it doesn't give her much. It's not going to help her get the painting finished between now and Thursday. But maybe take the advice from Tom in Formoy and just keep banging on, on his door until he eventually embarrassed the man to come out and finish off the job uh, for you. You've certainly learned a very, very valuable lesson. And, and my heart does go out to you, as a lot of other listeners are saying the same thing. OK, on the Late Late Show last Friday night, Kieran in Charleville, I thought the Late Late Show was a bit of fun. They probably just went with the bigger acts, not too many new acts on it. But at the same time, I thought the games were funny. Saying that, says Kieran, and in reflection, I do think last year's show was better, but he still enjoyed last Friday's. Now, because I didn't see it, but now I'm starting to get a feel. So that, because, you know, the biggest complaint we were getting, there wasn't enough singing. And if they're playing games, they obviously got involved with a lot of other you know, between the banter and the talking, they got involved in sort of party games or something to add a different dimension to the show. Pa- Paddy and Mallow says it wasn't a great show. I also would agree with your initial caller, Michael. It was a disaster. They were playing games and spinning wheels more than they were singing. And uh, a number of other people saying the same thing. Not enough music. Hi, Patricia. I thought the late late on Friday was very bad. Again, not enough singing. And also the women were like painted dolls. It was a disgrace. Because someone else had said there was too much fake tan. Was it Jim said there was too much fake tan? So they were like painted dolls. Did anybody else think that the way the ladies were made up? And I take it when you're saying the ladies, you're talking about the female uh, artists. And someone else says the Late Late Show was boring. More music, please. Less chat would have helped. And that seems to be the general uh, feeling that's coming in from people this morning. 1850 I'm Brian Crowley getting the severance, severance package, which some people feel were, is too high. 
Uh, Catherine says, I think Brian Crowley's money on retiring is a bit ridiculous, to be honest. It is nothing against Brian Crowley, the man himself, but he has been out of action for years now and wasn't it wasn't really able to do his work. It looks like a handy payout for him. Sad to see, says uh, Catherine. And I mentioned the point, it isn't just Brian Crowley that will be getting a large pension pot. It's any of the other MEPs who made the decision and, and have decided this year that they are stepping down and not going to run in the next election. Can I just stay on elections for a minute because there was a letter into the programme this morning from someone who doesn't want her name called out on the radio, which is fine. But this is from a listener in the Bottevant area to say, Hi Patricia, I'm writing this note to you to complain about the big poster close to the grotto in Bottevant. It's one of the election posters. Whoever put it there has no respect for Our Lady. It is too close to the grotto and it should be moved further away. A number of people have complained and spoken to me about it so I'm not on my own on this one. Would you please highlight it on your radio programme? So now, and I don't know, there's no detail in this letter as to, so I don't know whose poster it, it doesn't matter whose poster it is, but as other people notice that if you're driving into Bottevant, I'm assuming from the Mallow side, because as you come around the bend, the grotto was there, so I'm assuming it's there, that there is a large election poster for somebody who's either running in the Europeans or running in the local election. As other, do other people feel as this listener does, that it's disrespectful to Our Lady and to the statue to have the poster so close. And uh, if you're feeling that way and you know the person who put up the poster, I would suggest maybe mentioning it to him or her and they might move it slightly. 1850 333 103 John Paul takes your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Irish Blood Transfusion Service Board. They've got a blood donor clinic, GAA Pavilion, today between 5 and uh, 8 and from 3 to 5 and 7 to 9 tomorrow, Wednesday. Monster Bingo is on at half past 8. That's in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. Proceeds are going to Taurus Jock in Dunmanway and to thank them all for the support. They have given a lot of various organisations and charities and events. Raffle tickets will be sold on the night for cash prizes and for bingo books. McCroom Handball and Racquetball Club are looking for new members of all ages. Returning players or novices are welcome. You can contact John for more information 086 817 and the Gwaelscon in Clonakilty will hold a fundraising table quid in Scannell's Bar in Clonakilty. That's on tomorrow night, Wednesday at nine. All proceeds going to the Gwaelscon classes, including the four autism classes. And Kildare Community Lotto, that's going to be on on Thursday night. And Cork Counselling Services are holding a table quiz fundraiser this Friday night in the Hawthorne Bar in the Lock. Lots of fun, finger food and great prizes. And a lot of texts uh, coming in. Uh, Julie says, I'm delighted that people are talking about the Late Late Show. Yes, they were like painted dolls. 
Uh, now Judy's mentioned one person in particular but I'm not sure because I didn't see the programme so it, it wouldn't be fair uh, of me but the general gist people not that happy with the way they late this is the special country music one that was on on uh, Friday night uh, someone else says Patricia what drama group was looking for that wicker chair let me go back to the WhatsApp because it was a WhatsApp that came in earlier about that let me see where it is here it is it is for have I got the name of the drama group? Oh, it is. It's for Moy Musical Society. They're doing South Pacific is their show next next November. And they're looking for these very... The, 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 I'm doing my best. I hope I'm describing it well. I don't know if we... Because it's come in as a WhatsApp. I don't know if we are able to get a picture of it up on our Facebook page. But they are... I can see now why it would be used in a show like South Pacific. They're the high back wicker chairs made completely out of out of wicker but they've got that wonderful big swooping wide back uh, on them and actually the listener that's contacted us has said uh, they're, they're, they're willing to buy or borrow and they'll collect and do all of that I think they're actually looking for two <laughs> anyone can uh, help but anyway so I don't know the listener is asking where uh, where who needs what drama groups need them it's for Moy if you can be of any help there uh, please uh, help them out on how much MEPs get when they decide to retire no wonder people try to get elected as MEPs what a gravy train it is a rip off to us the taxpayers says a uh, texter and Patricia the person who is complaining about the poster being too near the grotto in Butterfront maybe that person is looking for some divine intervention in order to get elected and actually on election posters somebody else was on to say Mary and Mill Street said there are two election posters at the gate of the graveyard I feel they are very disrespectful what about a coffin coming out with a horse or going in to the graveyard and you're doing it underneath those pictures or posters. I think having election posters anywhere near a graveyard is wrong and it is disrespectful. If I can, I for in defence of the candidates, uh, trying to get the space on polls and with them thankfully honouring a lot of the Tidy Towns groups who have this voluntary code of poster-free areas. Most of our towns and villages are poster-free free, and that was put in place by the local Tidy Towns group and because of that it's only the approach roads into towns and villages that people are putting the posters up and of course some of the people got out early and got their posters up or were first out of the traps to get their posters up not then leaving a lot of space for other candidates so I suppose every available poll is being considered but is it disrespectful? Would a candidate should a candidate stop and think even if there are running out of polls in the area should you stop and think before putting a poster up very near to now, I mean according to Mary in uh, Mill Street these posters are at the gate of the graveyard so, so actually at the entrance to the graveyard is that a little bit disrespectful to people who have to go into the graveyard and also as Mary is saying with funerals and of course there will be and there there are uh, funerals uh, on. Joan in Formoy says I felt too many established acts, this is back to the late late, plugging their offspring or plugging their niece or nephew. That's all it's been. I felt it was much better last year and on poor old Meg who looks like she's been stung by the painter who she paid up front and then he hasn't shown up to finish off the job and somebody has said that he didn't sound like a qualified painter if Meg had to go to his house every day 
to collect him to bring him to the house and then he was scuttling off after not doing a lot of work and somebody was getting suspicious could he be on um, social welfare and is it a kind of a nixer job he's doing and Sheila went so far as to say that Meg should report him Olivia is with Sheila and said yes if that man is drawing social welfare then Meg should report uh, him he might learn a lesson from it and somebody else was wondering as well could there be a drink issue going on based on the fact well I think Meg did say that when she turned up there was the smell of alcohol didn't she and could that be it Um, Sheila says Patricia um, some advice read the painter it is possible that he may have a drink problem and that would explain for Meg having to collect him every day and bring him to the house maybe he maybe he's lost a licence maybe he doesn't have a, a, a licence also when he got the money up front he may be a right, he may be having a bit of a session at the moment with that money uh, hopefully with some patience he'll do the honourable thing and finish the job for her yeah I think I mean I think I'd love to hope that he will you know he'll cop himself on a little bit and uh, that he'll finish the job. The threat of querying if he's on social welfare, that might smarten him up, says another uh, listener. Anyway, just some of the samples of the calls coming in on that one. OK, let's take a break and we are back having our weekly chat with Joe Heffernan. Rod Stewart is ready to rock Cork on May 25th. And C103 is celebrating with a massive cash giveaway. Win €3,000 with the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Stay listening for these three songs. Song 1. Song 2. Song three. When we play them uninterrupted and in that order, be caller 103 to win 3,000 euros. Remember our number, 1850-333-103. The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Only on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Joe Heffernan joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're, you're back from your travel. I am indeed. I'm, yeah. back, I'm back safe and sound. Good. Back safe and sound. OK, we are discussing anxiety uh, today uh, on the programme. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier when I was I was teeing up that you were going to be joining me on, on the programme uh, today. And I mentioned it with Mark on The Breakfast Show. Uh, there were a lot more people suffering from anxiety. Or is it just that we're more open to talking about it? I think maybe a bit of both. Um, but it is a very stressful world. Um, you know, uh, Mary was saying to me recently, she felt that we wouldn't watch the news anymore because naturally it is all uh, uh, negative stuff. Uh, this yeah. person was stabbed, that person. Uh, Trump is causing a a trade war. Um, uh, Lear McKee. Um, murder trials yeah, all of that yeah, all of yeah. that and I suppose like um, it's a it's a world that a lot of us are only doing our best to adjust to um, I mean I'm not on any of the um, what they call now the social media you know uh, Twitter Facebook I, I'm on nothing <laughs> and that'll be the way it'll be but um, oh gee if I was um if I was uh, 
uh, I mean, a plethora of phone calls is as bad as things get for myself, and um, I can I can cope with that. But uh, there is, I think, a lot of anxiety. Um, uh, say parents now with 25, 26, 27-year-olds, um, you know, uh, uh, look how many 30-somethings now, um, through no fault of their own, are, are moving back in with parents because the whole thing... I was reading there this morning about um, in Dublin um, that some consortium that was that owned about oh I don't know something ridiculous like two thousand apartments, and they were averaging two thousand two hundred a month. Uh, they were getting for them in rent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, yeah, it's a tough old world. Yeah, and um, but I that's mean, that's adding we- to people then. Huh? That and and that that therefore is adding to people being diagnosed or suffering from anxiety. Absolutely, yeah. and then you know you have the ordinary everyday things, you know, that that will make us anxious. Um, that email that I forgot to send. The um, uh, I got to, you know, there's this um uh, fairly massive bill coming up, and uh, this, that, and the other thing. And, you, you know, um, it, no, anxiety is common enough, um, and we all experience it. Like, uh, it's a normal emotional response to stressful situations. But um, sometimes it can uh, it can get a bit high, it can get a bit much, and, you know, we can be restless, we can feel tired an awful lot of the time. We find that we're a bit forgetful, that we're not concentrating wonderfully. We can find that we're irritable. Um, we might have the odd headache or backache or a lot of them and maybe difficulty um, sleeping. Uh, they'd so they'd be, be the general symptoms of anxiety? They would. Yeah. They would. They would. And like you'd say, where's it coming from? And it can be what's called free-floating anxiety. In Explain other words, that. Hmm? Explain that. Well, it's that if if I was asked, we'll say, what exactly are you anxious about? I wouldn't be able to name a specific event or uh, situation that would explain it. Like, for example, if I had my uh, very important exams tomorrow, well, then I'd be anxious about that. But there'd be a logic to it. Um there'd be, you know... You'd know why you were anxious. You'd know why you were You're anxious. You're anticipating this able... exam. Huh? You're anticipating this exam. Exactly. But when it, when it's I'm anxious, I have all those um, symptoms of anxiety, but I can't put my finger on any given uh, reason. And I suppose, in a way, that's kind of a bit scary. Because, um, you know, what's logical and what can be um, uh, explained to oneself, um, uh, I think, has less uh, anxiety-provoking, you know, symptoms there. But uh, on the other hand, then, there can be specific anxiety. Um, You know, fear of... um, I, I've 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 chatted with an awful lot of people who find it very difficult to do things that um, in other circumstances would be just the norm, like going in, we'll say, to the supermarket and uh, and buying 
whatever is needed for the home or whatever else that the person might want to buy. And what, the anxiety takes over so they can't even do that simple task? Yeah, yeah, Mm. and it becomes huge. Um, You know, there can be uh, things that um, it's difficult to rationalise them. Like, (coughs) I was talking with a person who found it very scary anxiety-provoking, to be far from home. Um, I was talking to someone who went on a journey and uh, never got to their destination because about halfway, the anxiety levels increased to the point where they just did a U-turn and came back. Um, God, that would limit your world, wouldn't it? It would totally. And and I often say that, you know, that... um, your world can become very, very small if you let these things take over. And, that and when you say the anxiety took over, are you talking about then a panic attack, an anxiety attack? Are they one and the same thing? Well, I'd say a panic attack is sort of uh, 10. Anxiety could be 4, 5, 6, right, 7, okay. 8, you know? Yeah. Um, the kind of top of the pyramid would be the panic attack. Um. Uh, you know, you have then um, the more common um, phobias, we'll call them, um, say claustrophobia, uh, the lift would... Um, and that's quite common. Quite common, quite common, but very debilitating. I mean, you know, if you go up to County Hall and you're dealing with someone on... I don't know how many floors I should know. Maybe I don't. We'll say somebody on floor 26. That's a long walk up a lot of steps um, as against pressing 26 on the lift and up you go. Um, I've chatted with people who wouldn't, um, wouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't, um, or would feel very, very bad if they had to sit in the back seat, we'll say, of a three-door car or a two-door car. Yeah. yeah, is that kind of claustrophobic? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then another common one is uh, cats. Somebody being afraid of cats. I have a friend of mine who's literally petrified of cats. There you are. And I can't pinpoint, and I was only talking to her about it, saying, you know, did something happen to you? Because I had another friend who was afraid of cats and she was able to pinpoint yeah. her brother had thrown a cat at her, a kitten, when she was a child and the cat clung on to her and it ah. just frightened the life out of her. Yeah. But my other friend has no recollection at all as to why and I mean, if she was coming out of her front door to go to her car and there was a cat sitting in her garden, she couldn't even walk past the cat to get to the car. Right. And that can limit her because then she's got to either wait if there's nobody else in the house. She's got to wait for either the cat to go or for somebody to go and shoo the cat away. OK. I was reading a review recently of that new uh, Stephen King, is it? Um, uh, a new film called Pet Cemetery. Yeah, and somebody wrote in a review, it's just, <laughs> it's just that you'll never be able to rub your cat again or pet your cat the same way. So um, apparently that must be. No, I wouldn't go and see that. Oh, picture. that's a horror! It's a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I wouldn't like that at all. No, no, that would appeal to me. Yeah. And you, sir- you, you, you have a very strange one too, um, uh, and and I've come across it more than once. Um, bird phobia. Yeah. Somebody afraid of birds? Yeah, a real fear of birds. Um, do you know the way in the evening sometimes where there are fine trees 
that you can have, um, oh, I don't know, hundreds of uh, crows caw, caw, cawing and uh, landing under trees. I'm sure you've come across that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, apparently now, or not apparently, but it is a fact that um, there are people that, that, that would find that, I'd even go so far as to say terrifying. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. 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 And, 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 and it's hard to work out why. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I did. They seem to have made films of all these sort of things. Do you remember Alfred Hitchcock? The birds. The birds. Yeah. 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 That, that 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 was the famous one. Okay, so people will identify with having anxiety. I've just seen a text come in from a listener saying, "I find it very hard to go out." because of anxiety but I'm pushing myself to do it my grandmother stayed inside her own house for four years no didn't come out yeah. isn't that shocking it is but I would say well done because I mean um, the the very positive bit of, of uh, that information was but I push myself to go out yeah and that's vital because I often talk um, about uh Face, accept, float, let time pass. Now, I got that from a book I often mention about 30 years ago um, by Claire Weeks. And um, she had that like at the end of most chapters or most pieces in it. Face, accept, float, let time pass. My own interpretation of the four items there would be like face the fear. Say, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm scared of that. that. that That gives me a bad old feeling. Accept, accept the feeling. Say, it doesn't feel great to me, but, you know, um, I can accept that. It's not pleasant. Now, float would be um, to kind of switch off the row of the argument in the head. Will I? Won't I? I might. Oh, gee, what would happen? Maybe. To kind of switch that off and uh, let the legs do what needs to be done. We'll go back to the supermarket one. Um, just switch off uh, the argument in the heads, the pros and cons and the fears. Kind of switch it off and let the two legs carry you into the supermarket. And you'll find you're there and nothing awful has happened. And um, then the let time pass bit, then the fourth bit would be... Um, kind of nothing succeeds like success because if you've managed that well then the next time will be a little bit easier because you say well I, I did it I did it three days ago and you know nothing bad happened and more than likely nothing bad will happen and the third time then it gets um, uh, easier again um, I often talk about the ABC of, of fears and anxieties a would be the actual event. I'm going into the supermarket. B would be my belief about the event. Um, this will be terrible. Something will happen. I'll embarrass myself socially. Whatever. Uh, my belief about the event. And then the consequence of my belief would be the C. And the consequence would be maybe <coughs> with those kind of self-messages, it might be I won't go in at all. Or, A, the actual event is I'm going into the supermarket. Uh, B is my belief about the event. I, I'll i be okay. I'll be okay. Nothing bad will happen. 
And the consequence of that belief then would be, I, I go in. So, like, it's uh, it's not the world outside, really. It's how we view it. It's, it's our perspective on the world. And if our perspective is full of fear, um, then that's going to hinder uh, what we feel that we can do or, or can't do. And most of the things that we fear... Uh, don't happen. Um, you know, I don't know what I was worrying about last year, but whatever I was worrying about anyway, um, uh, maybe worse happened, <laughs> but the small things that I worried about didn't happen anyway. So that um, uh, we can we can waste our days um, worrying about what might happen instead of taking it one day at a time and saying, like, the only day that I have to deal with is today and more than likely, I'll be okay. And the key is, it's fighting through it yourself, isn't it? It's, it's, it's battling it yourself to to get over it. Yeah, because often now, when one would have worked with somebody through things like this, they might say at the end of it, "Oh, gee, thank you so much." Um, uh, you know, and I would often say, "Well, twas you did the work." Yeah, yeah. but it, but it, but it is possible to get out the other side of it and over, oh, overcome totally. it. Somebody says, uh, "Could you ask Joe what about a fear of driving?" Have you heard of that? Uh, there would be. Um, I've come across kind of even more specific kind of fears about the driving, like driving on the motorway. Um, say, I forget the name of it now. Is it the M8 to, to Dublin. The motorway, yeah? Yeah, motorway. Yeah. That a person would say, oh, that's not for me. No way will I do that. Um, and anxiety stops them actually taking that particular route on a yeah, journey. Okay. Yeah. So that like, yeah, the answer would be yes. Um, now, in a, in a general way, um, uh, w- would a person be prevented, would, would they prevent themselves from driving at all, I suppose the answer would be yes. Um, you, you'd hear many a person saying, um, I'm a very nervous driver. Mm. Or you could hear a person saying, I think more commonly, I'm a very nervous passenger. But um, yeah, and I'd say there's many a person who uh, have just said, no, it's not for me. Um, when it comes to driving lessons or um, doing the driving test. And I mean, obviously, these are anxiety-provoking. Um, but uh, I suppose we need to take ourselves on, Patricia, and just say, come on, I'll give it a go. I mean, uh, you know, the worst that can happen is that I won't succeed at it, and then I'll be no worse off than I am today. But at least I'll be able to say, do you know what? I gave it a lash anyway. I, I, I gave it a go. Okay, we'll come back to this, I think, uh, again uh, next uh, week, as I can see a number of people identifying with what you are saying uh, today. Uh, Joe, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. We'll chat next Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Patricia. Maybe we might talk about anxiety in teenagers. That will be brilliant. We'll do that next week. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. 0297 6617. Joe runs a counselling practice in uh, Bohope Way when he was talking about fear of birds, which was an unusual one uh, on me. 
uh, listener says a friend of mine was pecked by a chicken when they were very young and is scared of birds ever since uh, was only four at the time when it happened and she is t- absolutely scared if she was to see a hen in the, in the yard or even birds in the sky terrified of them okay thank you for that just a quick a couple of somebody's disappointed I didn't read out their WhatsApp text on the late late let me see if I can find it so many texts came in we do our best to get through them all but I found uh, here's one from Lisa says hi Patricia welcome back um, thank you and congratulations on the, on the feedback of, of your trip thank you for that just to reply to Michael and others who were talking about the late late show I thought it was a fantastic show very well organised thought it was the best show ever what a great lineup! Super singers Daniel, Nathan, Michael English, etc. And the highlight of the show for me, says Lisa, was Daniel receiving a Life Achievement Award for country music. It was all a surprise. Great show all round. All my friends thought the same. We enjoyed it thoroughly. So I don't know what Michael's problem or indeed others. Michael's not on his own. Michael kicked the ball off. But there was a number of other people agreed uh, with him. But Lisa and her friends saying completely wrong. Lisa, thank you for your WhatsApp. And Meg with the painter was back on, has taken the advice from some people to give the Dole office a call to see if the friendly uh, painter was unemployed. They say she should get onto the Gardaí. They don't want to get involved. It's the Gardaí that she needs to get involved because it could be interesting to see. Let me know if you what the Gardaí say if somebody doesn't show up to finish off a job. Um, let us know how you get on with that. Okay, that's where we leave it for today. Um, talk to you tomorrow at 10. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets Hit the streets Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie CorkCityMarathon.ie The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd with C103. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.